Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to MindShifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, September 13th, 2023. As always, we're grateful everyone who joins us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people and using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that they start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect in my life for over 19 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. You click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again, absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. When you call that number and press 1, it puts a little icon of a hand by your phone number, and I can turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code, and we can have a conversation. 
We appreciate when people do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service, and that's far easier to do when we know how things are landing for you. We had our support group last night, and we had two people who did just that. They let us know how we could help them because they asked to be stepped through reality management worksheets. So along with some intense discussion about various things going on in people's lives, we actually had two people step through the worksheet process in our support group last night. And one of the things that's frequently noted when that happens is that while it seems to be that just two people are doing a worksheet, anybody who's paying attention benefits because we're all just human beings struggling with pretty much all the same issues to one degree or another. And sometimes we have people who are actively working through a worksheet and then other people listening and they're following along and doing their own worksheet on a slightly different issue. So the synergy, the energy of uh, compassion, the um, camaraderie, the multiplication of energies um, ends up being highly beneficial to a lot of people, and if you know somebody who would benefit from that, we're offering this free every Tuesday and Thursday night from 6.30 to 9 p.m. or thereabouts, central time, and it's offered for free, and all the information you or anybody else would need to be able to join us is available on the mindshiftersacademy.org website. That's a website that I started about four and a half years ago or so, to try and help cross-pollinate, improve promotion and awareness of the tools that Michael and Jeannie offer. So there are pages there to uh, hold audio files of what we consider the highlight shows from this Internet podcast, which has been going for 12 and a half years. And... um, there's some offerings that I've created over time with slightly different focuses on them, but all compatible with the, this, this set of teachings and the Course in Miracles and the Way of Mastery and Michael Rice's work with the Reality Management Worksheet. So that's another resource that you can feel free to check out, mindshiftersacademy.org. And... We have all kinds of time for conversation today. We've got about 50 minutes left. Michael and Jeannie are still having a week off, so we will have another replay for the second hour, which means we have the flexibility if we're not full of conversation and worksheets and offerings, we can end a little bit early and start the second hour sooner rather than later. However... There's just a lot going on, and if you or somebody you know is experiencing turmoil and upset or dissatisfaction in their life, um, we're offering a set of tools and uh, support in training and how to use these tools that can help you 
in a variety of different ways. One of the things I recommended recently was a podcast from the We Can Do Hard Things podcast. And it was a podcast on how is it that we're almost never satisfied. And so Adrian Marie Brown <clears throat> was talking with the uh, We Can Do Hard Things hosts about this very thing and about how we are quite literally trained to never be satisfied. It's a part of capitalism. It's also a part of our culture. And um, if if you've been trained to think a certain way, you've been trained to, to always think there's something wrong with you and that you need fixing and or that uh, you are not satisfiable, then you tend to believe that until someone or something comes along to help you see the truth of it, that it would be a rather cruel joke if uh, the Creator put us on this planet without any capacity, any internal capacity for satisfaction. And one of the things that they um, come to terms with in that podcast and their discussion is that most of us have the capacity to be satisfied and we had it from a very young age and we were trained out of it and now we're trained into thinking that the only way we're going to have satisfaction is to acquire these things from the outside this is what drives capitalism we're going to need a bigger car a bigger house a better partner a better look to our body, a better, a different shape to our body, more exotic vacations, etc. And if that's how you think about yourself and your life, you might want to check out that podcast. It was one of the most recent podcasts on the We Can Do Hard Things podcast featuring Adrian Marie Brown, who's a writer, a very creative soul, and um, give that a listen. Let it stir some things up. And if it stirs things up and you end up feeling upset, anger, fear, sadness, hurt, guilt, shame, frustration, bitterness, resentment, or any of the other negative emotions, we've got tools to help you resolve those. We've got tools to help you discover What's the process inside you that's actually causing that upset and what can you do to intervene and change it so that emotions that you prefer, emotions like contentment and satisfaction and compassion and gratitude and appreciation. So if you have any questions about how that might look and what what it might take for you to be able to create more of that in your life, give us a call, 563-999-3581. When you call that number, press 1 on your phone, and we can have a conversation. I um, I once again find myself in a position where several of the people in my caseload are going through what some would call unscathed 
unspeakably difficult times and situations. And um, if you think in terms of this isn't fair uh, about anything in your life, um, the, the first response from anybody who's studied these things deeply is, that's right, it's not fair, but life isn't fair. Because fair is a concept, and it's a concept that's derived from your life experiences and what's been trained into you. It's not some external absolute thing. So the first thing is, yep, life isn't fair. The second thing is, when life is far more difficult than you think it should be or has to be, what can you do about it? And um, that's where the tools come in. That's where the, the recognition that I'm the one that's creating every emotion I experience can be so useful. Because if I'm in the middle of experiencing rage or deep grief or frustration or emotional hurt, one of the people in our group last night did a worksheet and it was on emotional hurt if i'm experiencing deep emotional hurt and i think it's being caused by the people and things outside of me that's a really sad kind of a tragic situation because i'm doomed i'm i'm a victim i'm a helpless hopeless person in that situation if however someone could come along and show me that there's something i'm actually doing inside my mind with my conscious my subconscious and my unconscious processes that is creating the emotion that i'm experiencing now i've got access to the process that's creating what i say i don't want and then i can start to change that process and as i said that i just thought about and i really want to mention this strongly today if you go to the whyagain.org website and you click on their little icon for YouTube, it's just it, it changes website to website and you may not find it very easily, but click around and find the YouTube link. And when you go to the YouTube channel for the whyagain.org, once you're there, go to the little magnifying glass and search and put in the search terms, PowerPoint Aramaic Forgiveness. Now these days, there's more than one PowerPoint on forgiveness or Aramaic forgiveness that will come up in that search. But the one that's relevant for us is one that was created by Bill Cosentino. And this is a 24 and a half minute PowerPoint, which... Is, is, is a wonderful tool to help people understand a little bit more about the internal dynamics of why and how a reality management worksheet can be such an effective tool when I'm feeling something I don't want to feel. And there is, um, you know, one of the things I like about tools like that is it's absolutely free and you can listen again and again and again. You can take notes. You can have questions come up when you listen to that and then call the Internet show and have 
Michael or Jeannie or me help you sort out the answers to those questions and in this way get more and more empowered to effectively and efficiently use the tool of the Reality Management Worksheet to make your life more comfortable, more content, more satisfied. And um, I, I have had the occasion twice in the past week to introduce that to patients. Actually, one of them was a relatively new patient, was introducing it to them for the first time, and another patient's been coming along for years. But whatever happened in the early going when I was presenting that and mentioning it as one of the many tools, this person didn't click in, didn't register it. So we actually spent the, the, the bulk of our session watching that video and you might say, well, why would you do that if they could go home and watch it on their own? Well, because in that process, I could slow it down. I could explain things in more detail. I could invite their questions. And then with the notes they have from that process, now when they sit down to watch it again, should they choose to do so, it's going to be even more enriching, more understandable, more accessible. So I highly recommend, uh, even for people who've been doing the worksheet process for quite a while, to just spend that 24 and a half minutes to review that PowerPoint presentation by Bill Costantino and um, let it uh, either educate you or stir up some more questions for you or get you triggered in one way or another and use it as that what Ram Dass would call grist for the mill. You know, um, the the grist in a mill is what allows uh, the 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 grinding of the grain to a finer degree to get a desired outcome. It's not the actual mill rocks; it's the little things that get roll around underneath the large milling rocks. It stirs little stuff up. It makes finer points of things. And if you engage a tool like the Reality Management Worksheet and it's effective and efficient and you love it and you go to it when you need it, great. But if that tool's out there and you've heard people talk about it but you've never really gotten much traction with it, it might benefit you to go back and watch. If you have, have watched it before, watch it again. And if you've never watched it, please give it a shot. This is the... 24-and-a-half-minute PowerPoint presentation by Bill Cosentino. It's available through the YouTube channel for Michael and Jeannie's website, whyagain.org, and uh, it's absolutely free, and you can use it over and over again. So uh, please take advantage of that if it's of any interest to you. We had somebody else in my caseload and then another person in the support group um, recently who was facing a situation in their life which, to my eye and ear, is tailor-made for the responsibility communication tool. And just coincidentally, yesterday and the day before, 
we were playing the responsibility communication uh, audio from a workshop that Michael Rice does. And the um, you know, it's just another really useful, powerful tool that's available free. And now, again, here's a, another recent repetition of the how-to, of the, you know, basically the audio instructions and a deep dive into understanding what is this tool and how might it be of use for me. Communication part one, communication part two, um, available in the replay of the podcast from yesterday and the day before. Um, so it's available in the archives. So what is that about? Well, that's about, in our culture, as Michael Rice likes to talk about it, we're basically taught projection communication. We project blame for what we are experiencing, and that means we're creating it. We project the blame for that onto other people. And we talk in terms of, you made me angry, you hurt my feelings, you're scaring me, you're offending me, etc. Rather than talking from a perspective of responsibility communication, which is the recognition and then the direct, clear expression of the understanding that I create what I experience internally. And I have the ability to respond differently the next time a similar situation rolls around, but only if I accept responsibility for my part in that process of the creation of my experience of life. And so this particular tool has me take a look at what it is that my mind is showing me occurred, what it is that I'm making it mean, how I'm generating different emotions about it, and then as I map all of that out, whether I intend to send this communication or this letter to the other person or people that I think are involved in this interaction or not, I get to see more clearly what it is in me that's getting stirred up that's creating the experience and the emotions. And depending upon the intensity and the, the intimacy or connection in that relationship, I can sh choose to sh share that with the other person or people involved. And in that sharing with them, present an open request for their help in healing and their input about what they think might benefit me to make that healing uh, uh, more of a reality. However, whenever I use that tool, the vast majority of times I use that tool, I don't share that tool with someone else because it, my internal process is not about them. And there are very few people in my life who would be able to understand if I shared that with them that my sharing about what my internal process was is not a request for them to change something. Very few people in my life 
that would be able to have that level of understanding. So I used the tool as a self-exploration. And I, I use it to map out what it is my mind is telling me has happened, what I've made it mean and how I've stirred up various emotions inside myself through that process, and what I might want to have happen. I get very, very clear about how I might be able to shift from that projection communication and sometimes we've been conditioned to it so strongly in our culture that it's very subtle and I, I may not even be aware of how I'm, I'm saying things like well when you did this you triggered me to and I think I'm using the word trigger and I think that means I'm taking responsibility for what's happened inside me but really my mind is saying no this person triggered me they did something to cause my emotions so when I use the responsibility communication tool just as an edge to make sure I don't drift into any kind of hint about trying to make somebody else responsible for what I'm experiencing, I use it as a tool inside myself to get clear about the process. So. That's another powerful tool that's available on the website at whyagain.org. And um, I thought I'd mention it because twice in my caseload and once in a support group in just this last couple of days, that's come up as a very appropriate tool for people in, in, in those two settings. And as I like to say, there's a lot more tools than that available. One of them we were mentioning either on the Internet show yesterday or in the support group last night is the um, – it's called the Mind Shifter tool. I call it targeted journaling. Michael calls it the Mind Shifter tool. And the essence of it is it helps me – I'll say, bang a gong. It helps me resonate a certain frequency of energy more strongly over and over again so that as that energy gets strengthened, if it's sitting in my unconscious, if there's some part of my mind that's been trying to hide it from me, it gets so much energy added to it that it, breaks free of the constraints that my mind has put on it to try to hide it from me, and it becomes a conscious awareness. I end up being able to deal with it more directly, specifically because I keep doing the action of writing the statement and adding the energy to it and my mind can no longer uh, convince itself that, that carbon-based memory part of me can
can no longer convince itself that I don't want to see what what its content is. And once I see the content and it comes out at a conscious logical level, I can deal with it. But if it's hidden from me, if it's in the subconscious or unconscious, and I'm, I'm not aware of it consciously, there's nothing I can do about it. So the power of that tool, the mind shifter tool, and the power of the three early memories of conflict tool, and the power of the breathwork tool is that it, it each of these helps me bring to conscious awareness something that has been active in my subconscious or unconscious and in its activity affecting my process, affecting my thoughts, affecting my perception, affecting my words and actions towards others. And those things that are affecting my process that I cannot see, I'm I'm helpless to change. So a big part of uh, work like this is, is the awareness, is the revelation of what is my conscious logical mind doing and how is that being distorted by the subconscious and unconscious material that's getting resonated in the activity at any given moment. So I might be thinking... And, and most of us have had the experience of talking to somebody and you're talking to them and they seem to be getting agitated, upset, angry, whatever, scared, hurt, or whatever, and you say, gee, you seem upset or you seem angry. And they increase their volume and the tension in their voice and their jaw gets tight as they say, I'm not angry. Every one of us have, has had the experience of dealing with someone in that situation and their conscious logical mind is telling them they aren't angry and yet their subconscious their unconscious their body language their energy their tone of voice the inflection all of it is conveying a different message well so there's a whole set of tools available on the whyagain.org website specifically designed to help bring that material to our conscious awareness so that we can deal with it. And, and, you know, the fact of the matter is, almost every time that I'm aware of having that that pattern, where I say to somebody, gee, you seem upset, and they get more angry and more loud, and they vehemently protest and say, I'm not angry, you're angry. Almost every time that's happened, I'm completely convinced that they believe what they're saying. I don't think that they're they're pathologically lying to me to try and keep me off base. I think that their conscious logical mind is telling them they're not angry. And in that condition, as I just described earlier, there's nothing they can do to change their state, their emotions, their agitation, their upset. They can't change it because they believe it doesn't exist. So there's a whole set of tools that Michael and Jeannie offer that I call revelatory. 
It will help me reveal to myself the deeper parts of my consciousness. It's one of the things I was going to do the other day was read Lesson 3 from The Way of Mastery, primarily because of uh, one of the parts that I just said there. In Lesson 3 of The Way of Mastery, the, the title of the lesson is The Power of Forgiveness. And it's one of the few places where I find a, a definition of forgiveness that, to my eye and ear, it, it isn't the same for everyone. Michael Rice doesn't think it's quite the same. But to my eye and ear, the process, the dynamic, the understanding of forgiveness in the way of mastery is almost identical to what Michael Rice has found in the Kaboris manuscript and in The Course in Miracles. And here's the definition. To forgive means to choose to release another, another person, another being, release them from the perceptions you have been projecting upon them. It is, therefore, an act of forgiving one's self or dismantling one's projections. It goes on to say, as you begin to forgive even 70 times, seven times, each time you forgive, you take yourself deeper into the purity of your own consciousness. That's what I was just describing when I said, if I can find a way to explore the material that's in my subconscious and unconscious and make it awake, aware, conscious in the moment... I now have a deeper understanding of all of your relationships. That has happened through the simple act of not being aware of the power of projection. And the power of projection, Dr. Michael Rice talks about this, covers it quite thoroughly has a slightly different definition for it than what's happening here. In, in the way of mastery, as I read this, they're talking about projection, the way the psychological literature from the last 100 years or so would talk about it. It's the idea of... Michael Rice likes to talk about how the projection is internal and it's not me projecting that he calls blaming, that externalization of it. But the initial process of projection is from my history and my unconscious, when it gets resonated, projected into my mind's image of the person or the people or the situation in front of me. And then, after they show up as a picture in my mind, saying or doing something that I think is causing my upset, then I externalize and blame them for it. Essentially, it's the same dynamic, choice of a slightly different word for a different portion of the process, but the idea is, if I am not aware of what is in my consciousness, if I'm either not paying attention to it in the moment, or I'm actively hiding it from myself, which some would call the process the dynamic that creates an unconscious in a human being, if that's happening, 
then I don't understand myself. I don't understand the process of creating my emotions in the moment or the process of creating my experience of life in the moment. So the more I can choose to forgive, which means to release another person from the perceptions I've been projecting upon them, it is therefore an act of forgiving or dismantling one's own projections. As I begin to dismantle my false projections and my false perceptions over and over and over again, 77 times 70 times, in other words, an infinite number of times until it's complete. Each time I do that, I learn more about what's in my own consciousness. I learn more about what's creating my own emotions and re- reactions and responses. And when I, when I see that in its totality, it is not possible for me to blame another. Because I can see that I'm the one creating what I'm experiencing. And then... As an added bonus, I begin to understand how I haven't really understood or been in relationship with another human being most of my life. I've always, only and forever, been in relationship with my conscious, subconscious, and unconscious blame and projection. My images of them, the the hidden meanings that I create about what's going on with them without ever even checking it out with them. My blaming them for creating my emotions and my experience of life. So I'm not really, as Krishnamurti would talk about so clearly, I'm not having a relationship with a person. I'm having a relationship with the fantasy in my head about this person and how they should treat me and how I should treat them and how our lives will unfold beautifully or horribly if I have a negative tinge to that relationship. And the fact of the matter is, None of it is true. Nothing outside of me causes my experience of life. That is the first axiom. It's on page five of the Way of Mastery. Now, is that absolutely true? I don't know. But it is one of the cores of this teaching. And if you want to explore that for yourself and start making some of these own observations, your own observations of these things, Way of Mastery is a really good place to do it. The first step in awakening, it says on page 5 of the book. The first step in awakening is to allow into your own mind this axiom of truth. Quote, Nothing that you experience is caused by anything outside of you. You experience only the effects of your own choice. Close quotes. Now, right away, the mind is going to say, wait a minute, that's not true. But let's get clear. A little bit later on the same page, it says, the way of the heart is not the way of the intellect. So we're not saying that you consciously think, oh, I want to be depressed. Or, oh, I want to rage out at this person. Or, oh, I want to have a low bank account. It's not that way. It's not done at that conscious, logical, intellectual level. The way of the heart is not the way of the intellect. For indeed, your intellect, that part of your mind, that conscious, logical part of your mind, was never designed to be your master. Einstein knew this. Great minds throughout history have known this. It was designed to be a humble, and if you'll excuse the expression, 
a very stupid servant. Servant of what? Of the awakening. The heart embraces all things, trusts all things, allows all things, is that experience of existence in which the soul rests eternally. The heart is that which is beyond space and time. It is the spark of light of the one mind of the Creator. It is also called the Christ and the Christ mind. And only in that state, only in that conscious, active, present awareness of your true nature as love, in that state will you find the peace that you seek. So that's just a little bit from the very beginning of the Way of Mastery and Lesson 3 in the Way of Mastery. And if you want to learn more about the truth of your life, the truth of your consciousness, the parts of your conscious experience that you've lived through and that you're not currently aware of, or that some part of your mind is actively hiding from you, then you can pick up some of these tools that Michael and Jeannie make available, which have as their purpose the process of revelation to reveal to you parts of your conscious process that are hidden from you. And they're hidden from you by an internal dynamic. They're hidden from you by the busyness of life. They're hidden from you by the conditioning of your culture and they are accessible they may not be easily accessible depending upon how many years or decades you've been buying into some false story about them but they are accessible and the tools are available and if you have any questions about what those tools are how to use them that's what this internet shows about you can send us an email at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org and we will do our best to help you discover the answers that best serve you. You can also call if you're listening live, 563-999-3581. Call that number, press 1 on your phone, and we can have a conversation. Is making sense? How is it being useful to you? How are you feeling stuck or frustrated by anything that's being said? Let us know. 563-999-3581. Call that number, press 1. We can have a conversation. I am, uh, as I mentioned, I'm dealing with a number of people who are up against it, you might say. So many things going on in their life that are demanding time 
effort, money, uh, emotional processing, hours in the day, etc., that uh, that it seems completely untenable. It seems like there there can't be any conscious logical plan here. There can't be any benevolent overlord or God monitoring any of this because if there were, we wouldn't have things like the fires in Maui and we wouldn't have things like the earthquakes and floods and millions of people being made refugees by wars between countries and it would it's just it's non logical right there's no way to make sense of this at that conscious logical level and so i keep encouraging people not to try and make sense of it at that conscious logical level because it doesn't make sense it isn't a fair thing there's no puppet master out there pulling the strings that can change it for the better for us. There is, however, this internal process that each of us has been trained into and can learn differently, where, as the way of mastery would say, allowance, surrender, intention, and humility can transform our experience even from the most intense life experiences. And I see it happen on a regular basis. I see people who have what you would consider, I mean, what what many people that I know would consider a minor inconvenience, and they're having a meltdown. They'll have a meltdown because uh, they're their automatic dishwasher isn't functioning properly. And they focus so intensely on this thing that isn't the way they want it to be to the exclusion of the hundreds of thousands or millions of other little things in their lives that are going so well. I mean, these are people who might be sitting in a a $500,000 or a million and a half dollar house that's got a working furnace and air conditioning and HEPA filters so the air is clean and the carpets are beautiful and the furniture are and they're having a meltdown because the automatic dishwasher has malfunctioned and they'll have they'll, they'll ruin an entire day or an entire week worth of their mood and blame it on this outside event. And if you ha- if that sounds familiar to you, if you've done that, most of us have. Most of us have had the experience of demolishing any any hint of joy or contentment or appreciation or gratitude within a day over some some aspect of our life, some small aspect of our life, not functioning the way we think it should. If that sounds familiar, 
we really, really want to encourage you. Everybody here on the team who's had good success with these tools wants to encourage you to explore using these tools to begin to understand how the vast majority of suffering that you experience, not necessarily physical pain, but the vast majority of suffering you experience in your life, mental, emotional, and physical, is the product of things inside you that you could learn to change and do differently. And with a shift in perspective, with a shift toward willingness and allowance and surrender and intention and humility, your life will transform to something that most people find highly preferable. Which is why, after a certain period of time, on this path or using these tools, people... They feel like the, uh, their hand has been glued to the plow. They can't let go. They can't stop. They, there's no going back once they realize how much better their life experience is when they're actively awake at the helm of their own lives and they're actively watching how they're creating their emotional state moment to moment, day to day. They don't want to go back to being buffeted around in the blame game or in the victim role or, or set of definitions. And if you're like that or you know somebody like that, we encourage you to offer them access to these tools. Again, it's kind of mind-blowing for me sitting here after all of these years of doing therapy and paying so many literally hundreds of thousands of dollars to get an education and get access to different tools and take different trainings on tools and techniques for trauma reduction, etc. And after all that, to see that these tools, some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered are being made available without demand for monetary trade. You don't have to pay any money. You do have to pay. What do you have to pay? You have to pay your intelligence, your effort, your persistent and consistent application of your effort in using these tools in your life. You can't just read the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again, and have your life be transformed. You can't just come to one or two support groups or listen to one or two radio shows and have your life be miraculously better. And yet, you don't need to pay any money to get access to these tools, actively apply them in your lives, and see the positive results. It's rather mind-blowing. I've learned to be careful about how I say that because in one of the Internet shows that happened probably about eight or ten years ago, I said, it's kind of goofy, actually, what we're doing here on this show. And two, if not three different people who were on the show got upset because they thought I was calling the work goofy. I was making a reference to the fact that we offer it for free. And so many people have tools that are maybe as good, but many of them are nowhere near as good, and they charge hundreds and thousands of dollars for access. And then they charge 
extra coaching fees and training fees. And Michael and Jeannie are making this stuff available absolutely free. So we've got about five minutes left before I would normally start to close this off and start another start our second hour. So our call in number is five six three nine 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 three five eight one. If you want to make a closing comment here about anything we've talked about today or anything you've heard on the show or what's going on in your life, give us a call. Press one on your phone. Otherwise, in the very near future, I will do my customary sign-off and start the second hour, which is going to be another recording. I'm going to need to search for that email here and make sure that I... play the thing that Jeannie would like me to play. So if you have a comment or a question, let us know. Well, right now you might have been pressing one and I wouldn't see it because I'm searching for an email. to be able to comply with their wishes. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of this stuff we call love. We actually are love and everything else is false. And Pretty soon here, we'll play a yeah. The shows for next week are not coming up here. So, reminding us all that the uh, true nature of yourself is that you are love. You come from love. I'm going to play. The one-hour women healing women and offer you blessings, and we'll be back tomorrow. And I noticed it more on yours, and I don't know if I was just tuned in more than I, than I did on the first two ladies that read. But you also have a um, what we would call a house divided against itself, because one place you say, I want them to leave me alone, and then you say, I want somebody to be with me. Yeah. Or, you know, and so it's like... Wanting, I, I can feel that. I yeah. can feel that in in here. I can yeah. feel that 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 fight, that dichotomy. That you're able to let that go, so you can be whole. I am. Awesome. Awesome. Anybody else? Before we move to the next one, I just have a question on yeah. one. So, because this was troubling when I did the worksheet, uh-huh. and now when I read it, it's still bothering. Okay. And I it's bringing up bothering you. Yes. Bring that's one of the things we'll point okay. out tomorrow when we do the worksheet is you can't feel anything that's outside of you. Okay. So something can trigger it and bring it up for you, but it can't bother you. Okay. But it can bring up bother for you. Bring up bother for me. Yes. Okay. And I want will want to punish them, whoever, by no answer. 
unconscious or in denial. Right. There were a couple people so that did that. They had no I punishment list. I couldn't put punishment. Okay. And a lot of that has to do with upbringing. You know, oh, you don't punish people. You don't. That's not nice. You don't act like that. You know, but if you'll be honest with yourself, even if it's withdrawing, leaving someone, whether you leave the room or leave geographically, withdrawing from someone is one of the worst punishments you can do. Think about prison. They put people in solitary confinement. They move them away from other people where they have no human contact. So a lot of times it's like, you know, why wouldn't, you know, and look at it two ways. One is, oh, I would never do that. Well, I didn't ask you if you did it. What was your punishment thought? You know, we may say, oh, that's okay. Oh, you stupid person. You know, I mean, it's like, but I wouldn't even admit that. So why would you admit it? That's what you need to do. That's yeah. where you need to go, is to be able to feel safe enough to admit that you've got that in you. Because that's this, and until you can face it and own it, you can't get rid of it. But I think the opposite was true of my upbringing, is that I was punished all the time. Ah, so you were determined to not punish someone else because right. you were punished all the time. But if you're honest with yourself, take a deep breath and think about one of the situations you wrote about. Wouldn't you have loved to have either screamed or, or kicked or run away or something? Denial. Like I'm not willing to admit that I was. Right. So right. that will probably be a big one for you. Yeah, when you can so. get to the point where you can admit that mm-hmm. I've got some rage in there. And you know, the original rage starts in all of us when we gave this up. Mm-hmm. When we were around the age of three or four and we said, this isn't enough. You know, just being out here picking up daisies instead of, you know, working out in the field or doing something else, you know, that's not good enough, so I need to do something else because it'll approve of me. And so we gave that up and started overlaying ourselves with this. And when we gave this up, that's the birth of the original rage. Mm-hmm. And so when you get back to that, that's going to be a biggie. Yep, when you can admit that you've got that in there. And probably underlying it is the pain of it. Are we going to touch on this more later, or is this a good time? We can't. No, go for it. If you have a question. Yeah. Well, mine's kind of like hers. I saw that. How would I punish or, you know, hurt them back? And I guess I've worked hard to forgive. Okay. I have removed myself geographically. So leaving. And not spoken to. Okay, that's big punishment. <laughs> both of those, leaving yeah. and not speaking, both of those is yeah. cut them off. And when you cut them off, you cut off a piece, I mean, you know, we're all connected. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, oh, I don't like that finger, so I'll just cut it off, cancel that off. Um, you know, and so, I mean, who's hurting from that, you know? Well, I went then into another um, corner, and I reached out and sent my brothers and sister a card, mm-hmm. and it was, um, hi, just thinking of you, and left my phone number, and, you know, so I took the first step. And what happened from that? Did they come back? Yeah. Good. And we've been friends, and I've been able to hold on to that forgiveness. Now, you were talking about your possible, I don't like to say, I don't like to say things because it gives it energy to But, 
if it's in there, it's already got energy. I'm, I'm curious. You know, that's like me saying, you know, that she gave me that proclamation that I had, you know, breast cancer. Well, I'm going to think, yeah, no, I'm perfectly healthy, I'm happy. But mm -hmm. deep inside, there's that anger that's creating that energy of potential breast cancer. I want to deal with that. I want to look mm -hmm. at that anger and be honest. It's there and get rid of it so that I can live. And just denying it is like saying, oh, when you spray some air freshener on the trash can in there, we can live with through the weekend. Yeah, I'm curious to see if, you know, if I am in denial and say I have forgiven. And, and we do forgiveness. That's pardoning. If you let mm -hmm. them off the hook for whatever it was they did, or if you let yourself off the hook because some behavior you did was maybe off target, mm -hmm. that's pardoning and that's not forgiveness. Uh, and so um, we're going to do forgiveness tomorrow. Yeah. To me, forgiveness is, um, well, you forgive that action from either person, but and, and you forgive, but you don't forget and you protect. But if all you're doing is pardoning, you're not getting rid of the root of it. Okay, because so that's still pardoning yeah, right yeah. there. Okay. Yeah, forgiveness is going inside and looking at, and, and we'll go over that tomorrow. That's okay. tomorrow's workshop. Okay. So, that'll be good. Yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. so, how do I go inside? How do I remove those things? How do I get to the root of it mm -hmm. and pull it up? You know, it's kind of like if you go out and you mow your yard and you cut the tops of the weeds off. But if you don't get down and pull the roots up, they're just going to come right back. Okay. Gotcha. You know. So, this is about getting down and getting those roots out. So, and some of them are not our own, some is genetic. You know, like the, the basis of my book that I'm writing is based on something I saw in a breast session that is a genetic thing. And it's come up and now it's my turn to heal it. And I can either heal it so my children don't have to go through it or, you know, I mean, somewhere along the way somebody's got to step up and say, I'm big enough, I'm going to look at this. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're going to do. Huh. What happens is those crystals dissolve and they release their contents. Now that'll be emotions, thoughts, and the drug that you use to suppress it. They're all held in the crystals that they release. That's all that like arthritis and things like that are, is crystals in your joints. And so different people store those kind of things in different places in their body. So where you have aches and pains, that's a place to pay attention to. Somebody mentioned Louise Hayes when we were outside. And she's right on target on a lot of things. I really like her when, when I start, you know, something starts hurting or whatever. I will look, to, okay, what does she say? What, what's that? And, you know, it's things like, and we were talking about having the pain in the hip area. And most women have that. And part of that, it could be, like, I know part of mine is around sexual abuse. But it can also be about moving forward. Because that's the, the part of the body that references moving forward. If your knees are hurting, it's that you're not getting your knees met. And, you know, so different things like that. Your hands, what can you not handle? You've got eye issues, what do you not want to look at? You know, if your hearing is bad, what do you not want to hear? What do you not want to pay attention to? So your body is speaking to you, and we just need to tune in and listen to it, and that's why I think the yoga was really good this morning and, and tapping into that. So um, anyway, it stores in those crystals, and that's what happens a lot of times when people have been, like say, you know, they were an alcoholic and they've been dry for 30 years. And then they start doing things and get more and more vital, and all of a sudden they fall off the wagon. Well, part of that is is that they've got more vital. You know, we listed the things, you know, have you been doing more of the right things? Had you hit any level of vitality? You know, what's your elimination? And the last thing is craving that drug. Well, the crystals, when they melt and they release the alcohol that was used, then all that person can think of is alcohol. 
And so they go drink. If they realized that they were going through a healing process and what was happening, you know, they could probably, you know, handle it, deal with it a little better, and look at it a little differently than it just being in their face. The lady that wrote the uh, Super Immunity, Carrie, she called Michael. It's just been a few months back. And she was like, Michael, I don't know what's going on with me. Because she's very clean in her eating and everything. You know, she does this work and all. And she's like, I am stuffing my face with ice cream. And she says, I don't eat ice cream. You know, Michael refers to it as calcite. <laughs> because there's actually a certain amount of that that's allowed in your milk products. <laughs> but the company I worked for before the pharmaceutical company, one of my customers was Domino Sugar. And I'll never forget when I went to visit their plant. And they were showing how, you know, the cane, you could see it going up the conveyor belt, you know, it's going into the grinder and all this. And they actually admitted that, you know, there's so many snakes that goes up with the cane. Oh, and there's so much meat that's allowed in your sugar before oh. it's considered contaminated. Oh, my so anything that's processed, you can expect that that kind of stuff is in there. <laughs> but anyway, I don't know how I got off on that one. But <laughs> she did. But she was saying, you know, all she could think of was eating ice cream. And she says, well, I don't do that. And so Michael was processing with her, you know, well, what are you going through? What are you dealing with? And, and what she came down to was that whenever her and her father had some kind of a conflict or a confrontation or a conversation, <laughs> thank you for answering that one for me. I don't know if I went back and changed yours to uh, confrontation, but... Um, and when her and her father would have a confrontation and you know, a big argument would, would happen, then she would make up for the big blast and to make things smooth in the house, he took them all out for ice cream. And so she was having some confrontation going on. So those crystals were dissolving. It was in her face. And ice cream was the drug of choice to make things right. And that was what she was slipping into. That's also referred to as TSRs, which is terminate and stay resonant. On your computer, does everybody have a computer? You know what I'm talking about. That down at the bottom of the computer screen, there's little icons. They're always there. You just have to do one click, and it opens up on your screen. Those are terminate and stay resonant. They're really on, but they're kind of like shrunk down or something and kind of out of sight. And it only takes one click, and they're up. You follow me? Is everybody with me on that? Mm -hmm. We all no, have anything about computers. Okay. If you open the computer up. All along the bottom of it, there would be, and you can choose what you want to leave down there. Like I've got Word documents and Excel spreadsheets and, and their database and, you know, certain things that I open a lot. Instead of going over and having to click start programs, you know, and find it or whatever. And I've got so many on my desktop, it's cluttered. <laughs> so what I do is I put the ones I use most often down here at the bottom. And all you have to do is one click and it opens up. So it's like an immediate, almost like flipping the light switch and the lights come on. Instead of having to get a ladder and put a light bulb in and you know, do all these other things, you just flip the switch. We have terminate and stay resonant things within us that we have built that this is my go-to. Um, my go-to used to be leaving. And it was the first thing that popped in my mind when I felt like my back was against the wall and I needed to escape. And, you know, it's like I can't handle this stress. I didn't like conflict. So it was like, I'd leave whether it was geographically leave or just mentally leave or whatever. And so when you build those into your system, it's automatic and it only takes a quick trigger. Just like on the computer, you just do one click and it's open. So if that's your built-in run-to, then when 
something happens and it gets triggered, it's, it's in your face. It's not something you think about and say, okay, I think I'm going to leave. It's just that's automatically in your face, i got to leave. i got to get out of here. What I've discovered is because one of the things, and Michael knew that was my tr trigger. I mean, that's what I, I wanted to do. And so he was like, you've got to take leaving off the table. That, that's just not a choice anymore. And what I went to and what I've realized is just below that is, okay, if I can't leave, I'm just going to get totally pissed. I'm just going to, you know, turn into the Tasmanian devil or whatever. It's just another cover-up. And so now I have to deal with that. You know, okay, what am I going to do with that? You know, I need to handle that. I need to look at what's below that. Anger is also just a drug to cover the pain. So when I went a little deeper in that, I realized, you know, it's like, okay, let's say that we're having a, a confrontation or a discussion, <laughs> and I feel like I'm losing. And so leaving's off the table, so I can't run away. So it's like um, my fear comes up, you know, that because of past relationships and being abused and everything, it's like, okay, now it's going to hurt. You know, that's going to be the next thing that comes along. And so it's kind of like, you know, possums roll over and play dead, and they're, you know, kind of, they're not vicious or anything like that. But you back one in the corner, and it's going to come out fighting. And so it's kind of like that. It's like, you know, okay, I need to survive. But if we think about it, we'll talk about power persons more later, but you had a person in your life who had more power over you than you did, and you felt like your survival depended on them. It's usually a parent, but sometimes it could be a grandparent. You can also change power persons throughout your life. People that join the service, their you know officer or whatever becomes their power person. They do you know jump. How high do you want me to jump? You know, and it's based on survival. And so what we'll do is we will end up when there's no stress. Okay, let's say you know my life was going along good as a teenager, and mom was my power person, and so I was just a good little girl. I did what was expected of me. You know, um, didn't cuss, didn't. You know, and of course we weren't allowed to do things like go to movies and dances and stuff. I mean, you know, it was just, I was raised super strict. But it was just being be a good little girl, do what's expected of you, and keep things smooth and calm. Then when stress built, then I would do what I de needed to do to resist and survive with my mom, my power person. And that was, you know, either to just remove myself, go to my room, you know, avoid her, or whatever. So I'm no longer the good little girl, I'm in an avoidance stage. Then when I became ultra stressed, because yelling and screaming wasn't allowed, you know, you couldn't do that, that was not being nice, then I would actually leave. I mean, I would just not be present at all, whether, even if I was still in the same room, I, it was just like I disassociated from the whole thing. And what I realized after doing this work for a little bit of time was that you can have more than one power person. And my mom, while she was the one that would give you the voice or the breath, <laughs> you know, or whatever, I mean, you knew she was pissed without her saying anything. What I realized was that my dad was my ultimate power person. He went to the farm all the time, and he still does. And so we had two homes. We had one in the city, and we had the farm. And he had good reason, excuses, to go to the farm. You know, the cows had to be taken care of or, the, you know, different things. And so he needed to go there, and Mom didn't like the farm life, so she stayed at home. But what I got to realize, and that was his escape. Now, they've been married over 60 years, but most of the time they're in two different homes. He's at the farm, and she's in Bristol. 
And it's like I'm realizing that his way of surviving, her temper and things like that, was he would leave. And he would do it nicely. Now, my dad, and you can ask anybody that knows my dad, he is the calmest, gentlest soul that you would ever meet. I've never seen him lose his temper uh, or anything like that. I'm just super calm. So I realized that what he did was he stayed nice, but he left. And so what I wanted to do was to leave. And so he was my ultimate power person. And that went into some different, you know, venues. It's kind of like we call them hydro effects. When you're doing a worksheet and you may be doing it on, you know, your next door neighbor and all of a sudden, oh, I need to do that same thing on my brother. and Oh, I need to do that on my last boss. And that same issue happened with dad. And, you know, it's just like it's the hydra was a mythical creature in, in Greek mythology. You cut off one head and ten other heads came out. <laughs> it was like you couldn't win. It just kept... And so that's what happens when you start doing your worksheets, and that's why we also say to write them down because, you know, those things you would lose if you were trying to do it in your head. So if you write it down, then you've got a memory of it to, to go back and do that. But there's two tools. One, you've got the commitment. That is something I want you to read. It's also at the bottom of the sheet that we did yesterday, what your healing's going to look like. It's, it's incorporated part of it into that, that when you kick into that, but what my healing's going to look like, and life's horrible and terrible, and everybody's awful and mean, and, you know, I feel like crap, and all this kind of stuff, then you're going to make a new commitment. I'm going to do things different. I'm going to change this right now. Instead of, like you were talking this morning, your cells even remember. So it's not just, you know, in your brain, but your cells have memories, and we have to change those because we're just functioning out of the past when we just do that reaction. It's reaction, doing an action again. And so the commitment is one thing that, you know, you're making a commitment that you're going to do things differently in your life and you're going to make a new stand. So that's one tool. So when we partner up, first I want you to read the commitment to each other and then we're going to do what we call a love exchange. And the way you do that, and I like, there's two different ways. I like where you actually touch. I think it's really sweet. But um, we had an 11-year-old at Heartland and she's the one that actually talked us into doing this and, and Used to, we just did the love exchange facing your partner. And then she said, no, you know, we got to connect. And she was actually Ari's partner. And so she would put one hand on the other person's heart, and then they would put their hand, and then you would put your free hand on top of their hand. Mm -hmm. So it's just a total heart-to-heart -heart connection. And then what you're going to do is one person, and, and so one person in each partnership say, I'll be light. Okay. So the person that goes first, okay, everybody is going to get to send and receive. Okay, and I'll tell you in a minute which one goes first on sending. So when you're the sender, just close your eyes and go inside and find the deepest, clearest love that you can find. Whatever it takes to get you to that space. Whether it's thinking of that newborn, whether it's thinking of a kitten, whether it's thinking of being out with your feet in the sand, whatever it is that can get you back to that connected, loving space. And once you get there, you open your eyes and send that love. Just imagine that you're just pulling that love up and you're sending it through your eyes to your partner. Now the partner, the one that's receiving, is going to sit with their eyes open so that they see when their partner opens their eyes, they'll know that they're sending. And see if you feel anything at all. Now most of the time we're saying, you know, run your hand between, you know, or whatever to see if you feel anything. And you can do that if you want to. Um, or just sit and just feel it and see what you receive, and then reverse roles and do it the other way. Any questions on either side of that? Okay, light, you're going to stand first. 
So just face your partner and do the... One that's worded a little bit differently on every mirror, and it's one you read to yourself in the mirror. And so I don't know if I shared this in the class yesterday or if it's if it was here, but there was um, a lady that I worked with over the phone, I do private sessions, and so I told her I said, go to the bathroom and stand in the front of the mirror, and I said, reach your hand out and put it in on your reflection oh, and then put your other hand on your, on your physical heart here, so you're touching your reflection and yourself, and then read the commitment to yourself. And so she felt such a shift on that. It was just, it was really powerful. So that's on every mirror in the house. So read it to yourself while you're brushing your teeth or whatever you're doing. How is that different? And, and what we did, um, what I did is Susan gave us both of them together laminated. Hmm. So you could just switch it over, but you could do it either way. Yeah. And I have that on my bathroom mirror behind my faucet leaning up against the mirror, so whoever's in the bathroom sees it. That's awesome. And, you know, you don't... It's laminated, so it's protected. It's protected from the water, and, you know, so everybody sees it and gets that energy from right. it. Right. Whether they actually read it or not. Right. But awesome. I read it, because the mirror's right there, so mm -hmm. you can just read it to yourself. Right. Awesome. So what you told me yesterday. I had it down as... Um, as this way. My commitment...
understand with emotion. And so it's just like that. It has potential energy, and that is actually got the most energy. So you can walk around with your mouth saying, I want to be healthy, wealthy, wise, and wonderful, and beautiful, and have everything, and everybody be at peace, and all this. And inside you're like, oh, I'm worthless, I'm clutch. Um, you know, whatever you call yourself, you know, I'm not worthy of that, or nobody loves me, or, you know, and those things have the most emotion to it, so it really doesn't matter what you're saying with your mouth. The things you're holding down and pushing down like that spring is sending out this wave that says, come show this to me. You know, it's, it is actually becoming your, your issues and your disease, and that's what's going to draw in more than anything else that you say. And so... What we want to do is to re to release it easily through worksheets instead of having it spring up in our face and grab it, by, you know, by the face. You can keep them where you put them back in either way. So on the terminate and stay resonant, uh, like I said, when things for me seemed unbearable, stress was up, my back was against the wall or whatever, that mind was I want to leave. And one night we were sitting at dinner, and this was actually before I started writing the book and digging into what was really lying underneath, you know, and I'm like, pretty cool, you know, I can, I can teach workshops and tell you all how to handle your stuff. You know, I got mine handled. <laughs> right. <laughs> but we were sitting at dinner, and Michael was like, oh, penny for your thoughts. You know, have you ever had anybody do that, ask you that? Mm -hmm. And I looked at him, and I'm like, mm, there was no thoughts. It was just like, I had slept. I was, it was total blank. There really wasn't any talk, you know, and I was just like gone. And so we got to looking at that, and at that time I was working it with a book called Courage to Heal. And it's written by two women, uh, Helen Bass and Laura Davis. Yes. Thank you. And it's an awesome workbook if you've got any kind of physical, mental abuse that you've gone through to work through that workbook. It really brings out some good points. There's some things I don't agree with her on, but uh, overall, it really took me to another level working with that. But anyway, so I was working with that, and then he, we got to talking and processing about it. And what we found, I'm going to go ahead and hand this out because it's easier for you to see it than for me to try to visualize it for you. Are you going to talk more about terminate? Yes. Yes. And. Uh, Before I get away from that, you had asked me to share on the commitment thing. There was uh, a man during one of the healing through relationships, which is the tool that we use in that. And he had come up at the end of when we took intermission. He said, you know, my wife and I are getting ready to divorce. And um, I said, well, you know, take the commitment and read it to her. And he's like, you know, it's too late. There's too much water in this bridge. And I said, well, then you don't have anything to lose. I said, take it and read it to her. And he called me about three weeks later, and he said, we are like on our second honeymoon. He said, no more talking of divorce. He said, we're getting along great. He said, this is just awesome. And I said, that's fabulous. I said, when you read the commitment to her, does she read it to you? And he kind of stuttered around. He's just like, she doesn't know I'm doing this. <laughs> he was like going in the back room and reading it to maybe her picture or something. And it totally shifted. We're all energy. And... So, I mean, when we were doing that love exchange, did you feel the energy in the room? Mm -hmm. I mean, Nancy and I were both like, whoo. I mean, it was like the whole room was moving. It wasn't just us. And uh, 
another lady had been at one of the workshops and she heard that story being told. And she taught this in the Spanish community and she was working with a lady one-on-one -on -one whose son, when he lived at home and then when he got married, he left and she didn't, hadn't seen him for 10 years or heard from him. I mean, it was oh. like he was vanished out of her life. And she, so Nene shared this, the story I just shared with you with this lady. And so she went home and started reading the commitment to her son's picture. And in three days, he knocked on her door. Wow. I mean, it's wow. when a person, you know, we send out this signal, you know, I'm holding this energy of fear. You need to come show me what I'm afraid of so that I can deal with it. And that person comes, and maybe they're a really angry, hostile person. And they show us their fear, but we're like, I didn't feel this till you came around. So I'm going to get rid of you, and I'm going to put this right back down where I don't have to look at it, which guarantees I get to draw in another person to do it, another person to do it, until I'm finally willing to say, oh, this is mine, I'm going to get rid of it, and then it totally changes what happens, what comes your way. It's like, how many have ever played tug of war? Okay, so if we're playing and we're tugging, you know, back and forth, back and forth, and I drop my end of the rope, it changes your game whether you want it to or not. So... When we clear up the energy in us that's saying, hey, come be mean to me, then that person still needs to deal with their anger. So they're going to, you know, and every time they find somebody that's afraid of them, it's their opportunity to say, hey, why am I being so angry or hostile or whatever, except they usually don't look at it that way. But um, it's their opportunity. So if you're not bouncing back and giving them their feedback, then they will go do it with someone else because they need that feedback too. So it's going to change what comes into your world. It's going to change what you're drawn to. If you don't like the creation, you don't like what you're bringing into your space, then look at it and do something different because you're the one that's creating what comes. That doesn't mean you're at fault or blame for somebody coming in and being mean to you. But you do have a responsibility in there that drew them into your space and cleaning that up and that may still mean holding them accountable for their behavior that was off target. It doesn't mean you're letting the other person off the hook mm -hmm. because, you know, well, I'm a fearful person. I need to deal with my fear, you know, and just let the angry person off the hook. No, they maybe need to be held accountable, especially if they were abusive. It might even require calling the cops or something. So it's not saying to let them off, but if you try to deal with that while you're in the state of fear or hostility, then you'll make a mistake. Remember we said this list came from doing something you regret. So when that is active, we don't have our full senses. It's like having blinders on and we can't see it. So anyway, the on the terminate and stay resonant, what we realized was that one of my things was to actually totally withdraw. I mean to just it's like my spirit or my soul left my body and was hanging out in the room observing or something. Mm -hmm. And and that's the way of being able to handle the situation without actually feeling or the full impact of whatever's going on. So what Michael and I started doing was when that would come up, instead of him saying, a penny for your thought, would be to help me look, you know, okay, you just checked out what just happened. It wasn't that at that moment we were trying to dig down in and find the, you know, the root of it or whatever, but to recognize the triggers. You know, did the lights just dim? Or did a certain build of a person just walk by? Or did the music shift? Or something happened to trigger it. And to start looking at that so I could be aware of the triggers. Because, you know, just like realizing that my TSR is to leave, to be aware when that comes up, oh, something just triggered my leaving. And I show up. 
So when they show up, if we don't do the forgiveness work at that time, we don't let go of the fear at that time, what we will do is hook our fear into our image of the other person. And there's file folders. Okay, like you, if you've been to the workshops, you've heard Michael say, don't think about a purple alligator. Now, you've got files on colors, so you know what purple is. You've got files on animals, so you know what an alligator is. But you probably never tied purple and alligator together. But now, you come to class tomorrow and I say, don't think about purple. What are you going to say? Because they're linked. They're, they're actually chemically linked to your brain. It's kind of like if you think of your filing cabinet. You know, I have manila file folders about the car. And so all of the car stuff, whether it's insurance, you know, new tires, uh, the mechanical work that's been done on it, whatever, all about the car, so they're all in one file. And then things about the conduct, you know, there again, insurance or, you know, whatever. And so we link them together. So when, when they're linked together, just like I said, don't think about purple and then alligator pops. Same thing on this chart. Anything in this chart that gets triggered, because you can see the lines, they're all linked. Everything's linked together one way or the other. So if, say, at the time of the rape that a certain song was played or the lights went out or the person popped out of the door and I wasn't expecting them to be there and they startled me, then that gets linked to the event. It gets linked to my thoughts around it, the, the guilt, the blame, the denial, the physical abuse, everything else. It's all linked together. So now I'm going through life and I don't hear say Michael coming in the door and all of a sudden he's there and I'm startled. Okay, all of these files at some level will pop because they're all linked together. Even though that was a totally innocent event, I just didn't hear him come in, but it was that startle effect and that was the same thing that happened when the abuse effect happened, then all of these file folders now pop out. And at some level, even if I just take a deep breath and go, Oh, I didn't hear you come in. If I don't work on it right then, I've just added a little more energy to that event, push that spring down just a little bit more. And so being able to say, oh, okay, this has happened before, I need to breathe, that's absolutely the first thing because holding the breath, and if you notice if you're startled, one of the first things you do is, <gasps> you hold your breath. A child that's having a temper fit, they lay down, hold their breath, you know, kick their feet or whatever. So breathing, is the way you let it go physically instead of locking it into your tissue. So at some level, all of these will fire when one little piece is triggered. So that was what in the event at the restaurant when we were looking at, okay, what just happened that just triggered me to disassociate, to leave? There was, it may have just been a little something. You know, it could have been in a conversation that was totally innocent and all of a sudden just a little bit of blame for something popped up in my mind or a little bit of, of guilt or, or a thought of, oh, I forgot to do something, now I'm, you know, I'm going to be in trouble because I didn't do it, or, you know, I forgot to pay a bill, or, you know, just any little thing. You may think it's not linked at all, but then if there is some kind of blame or guilt or fear attached to it, if there is a strong enough attachment to these other things, they're all going to fire. And so it's being able to get down to the bottom of that so that we can heal physically, mentally, and emotionally. So now what happens on this if then the fear comes up and we build their image in our mind of this person and that they bring up my fear. So it's their fault. So mm -hmm. we're blaming them. Mm -hmm. So we've called them in and they've answered the call, they've resonated the fear, and we if we don't now at that point is the good point where you can go, Oh, okay, 
This is mine. I let go of my fear. If we do that, then we clear this out and we don't link it to them. But if instead of doing the forgiveness work on it, we say, oh, they're the ones that made me feel fear. And we put it outside. We're externalizing over here. It's not my fault that I'm feeling this fear. It's their fault because of their behavior. We don't take the responsibility. We call them in because we're holding the fear to start with. Is everybody with me? Okay. So we blame them. Well, if they're not a conscious being, or <laughs> blaming them for them just doing what we call them in to do anyway, is going to trigger their anger. So this is going to, to we're blaming them, and that's going to resonate their anger, and they're going to come back up and build a picture of us in their mind that we make them angry. And so then they're going to blame us for making them angry. And you see how this is it's just a vicious cycle. And it just keeps going and going and going. And there have been times that, and I said, you know, Michael may or may not agree with me on this one, and that's okay. <laughs> but there have been times where I have to take an intermission. Not that I'm running away from it or denying that it's there, but to stop that cycle because it's just continual. Da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like what happens physically, and it's all linked the physical, mental, emotional. It's all tied together. But, and the body is so amazing. And you know that being a nurse. When you go in, and these are all some good things. I mean, the, like for instance, the autonomic, am I saying that right? Nervous system. It's what controls, you know, your heartbeat, your digestion happens, you breathe. Most of the time you're not sitting there thinking, okay, I'm digesting my food. <laughs> you know, you're not doing that. It's just automatic, it just happens. You're just created that way, and it's phenomenal. Um, but that's also where your um, body memory comes in, too, because it's just an automatic thing, and cells are remembering things. You know, if you have surgery, they put you to sleep so you don't feel the pain, but whatever part of your body got cut, it remembers it, and that assault is still there. So even though it's not in your conscious memory, your body has memory, too, and so it needs to be cleared out as well. So when there is a sympathetic, Nervous system. Tell me if I mispronounced any of this stuff. Right. And that is the physiological changes that need to take place for you to survive. Some of those things come in really handy. If a lion's chasing you, you want to run. I mean, you know, there's just something. But what happens is, and it's so cool, is that the, and I don't, I'm not going to name all the organs that are involved in it, it's like the hypothalamus and the pituitary and all these things, and, and they create hormones in your body that will kick you into certain behaviors. And it happens within one twentieth of a second, which is the space between two heartbeats. So that's super fast that this kicks in. So it's not like you can think about it and decide not to do it. <laughs> it's just your body's um, automatic response that is going to do this. And so if you are the type of person that, and I'm, I'm not positive, I, I guess I should look into this a little more, what creates one person being one over the other, but if you are in the fight, then what's going to happen is there's going to be uh, epinephrine and cortisol, which increases your blood pressure, your blood sugar, it suppresses the immune system, it produces glucose, it turns fatty acids into energy to prepare the muscles so you can run. Now that happens in a twentieth of a second. Mm -hmm. That your body says, 
I'm giving you this glucose and all this stuff so your muscles are strong so you can just fight or you can run or you can, you know, whatever. And your body just does it. Another thing that's weird is that, well, it's not weird, it's awesome. Um, it stops functions like digestion, salivation, and tearing because you don't need those if you're fighting or you're running. So it mm -hmm. stops those. And it produces another chemical that makes your blood clot faster. So if you're a fighter, you're going to probably bleed. And so it's already prepared that your blood's going to clot quicker. I mean, like, it's amazing if you think about how the body does that. And we don't think about it. It just does it. And it gives, makes you, you know, hyper alert and all that stuff. Now, there is another part, and you mentioned it actually this morning, the um, parasympathetic. Mm -hmm. And that is the part that says, okay, crisis is over. and puts everything back to normal. And one of the two of you can be conscious enough to say, whew, your stuff's up. Let me just send you love here, do the mm -hmm. commitment, just hold the space for you while you process, you know, what's going on, how can I support you? But usually when you've drawn somebody in, you've got the matching bags of garbage and you're going to just trigger. And you're just going to do this thing. So sometimes you need to put it on the shelf and say, you know, I need to go get centered. We'll keep this conversation going later. You know, we'll bring it back when, when we're more connected space. Because if you just keep the cycle, you're going to totally destroy the relationship. And when I'm talking about relationships, it's with a, a partner, with a child, with a parent, with an uh, employer, with a, a student, you know, whatever, co-worker, uh, people at church. I mean, you've got relationships with the person in the mirror. You know, and so if at some time you don't sit down and say, okay, I need to deal with this so that I quit creating this, then what happens is you become so hyper sensitive that your 120th of a second happens every 120th of a second, and it's just continual, and your um, parasympathetic doesn't happen. You never get to that calming space. That's where you get burnout. That's where people have nervous breakdowns. That's where they just go into total overload. I mean, it's just, you know, continual so much, and your body never has that calming time. So physically, even though all of this is, starts out with a reality that you've created, about an event that happened, mm -hmm. then it's like you're just totally destroying your body physically. And that's what causes like autoimmune things. Yes. The, mm -hmm. the people that are constantly firing that yes. fibromyalgia, lupus. Exactly. Diabetes, hypertension, it causes everything. Yes. Because if you're always like this, I mean, I'm right now. I'm I'm right there. I've been like this for a year and a half, and um, you can't keep going that way. Keep doing it. I no. can't keep doing it. And, and you know, there have been times in my life where I, I had to quit. I took three years off for working full time. Sabbaticals, they call them. And I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. There's even, you know, like pastors and clergy and things like that, they'll take time off to go away for a year just to, you know, it's like they can't handle the, mm -hmm. everything that's coming out. So we all have to do that. Yep. Profession. Mm -hmm. Service profession. Service profession. Yeah. Exactly. Now the third one, the fight and the flight, you hear a lot of, and what you don't hear a lot of is the freeze. And that's like, you know, I was talking earlier, like a possum. What it does is it freezes. And that is when you're at a point where, you know, as long as you're in the, the fight or the flight, it's like I could either fight and win, or I can flee, you know, and I can make it and get to safety. But if you're at the point where it's hopeless, and I can't get out of here, 
you go into the freeze. And so that, when that happens, the, the way the body responds to that, it sends out, um, it's the same neurotransmitters, but it sends out endorphins and, and hormones and painkillers so that, you know, okay, I'm just going to freeze. I'm just going to lay here. I'm going to take it. So your body sends out these painkillers and things into your body so that you can survive the assault. You know, and I'm, I'm using it almost like, because I am talking about the physical abuse, but it can even be a, just a mental assault that the same thing happens and you just freeze and it's just like, okay, take it. You know, and um, it allows it, like a possum, you know, they simulate death. I mean, it's just, you know, and that's when you disassociate, when you leave the body or whatever. Most people, when they do that, they come out of it, sometimes coming out shaking, but they come out without the memory. It's like blocking it off, being unconscious mm -hmm. about whatever it was that happened, and it's a way of, if I don't remember it, you know, if I don't have to look at it and I don't remember it, then it didn't happen to me and I can, I can go on with life. I went almost 40 years without looking at my physical assault. That happened for three years of my life. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, I've not seen him again. Mm -hmm. I've not talked to him again. You know, and it's like, you know, why even put energy it? didn't happen, it? right? <laughs> yeah, it didn't happen. It's part of my life that's gone. <laughs> I'm in a new era of my life. You know, why even look there? But there was such trauma there when it did happen, and when I finally started dealing with it, my body started releasing what it was holding on to and went into tremendous hip pain. I mean, my whole pelvic area, the, the bones just felt like somebody needed to go in there and just give it a good twist or something, you know, it just hurt so bad. And, I mean, I went, it got so bad at one point that I went and had x-rays done because I just knew there was something, you know, bone cancer or something, cancel all that stuff. But... It was like, there's got to be something physically really wrong. And there was nothing. Absolutely nothing. So all it is is that cellular memory of the event hanging on to it. And when I was finally able to deal with it, even though it had been 40 years, then all of the cellular memory started releasing as well. And the pain and all of those things came back with it. So it's being willing to go through that, willing to look at it. Because even though I was ignoring it and pretending like it didn't happen, it was there. And so, you know, We've got to deal with it because it's in there. And, but that's where people get the PTSD, too, because you come out of it, you don't have a memory of it. You've blocked it out. And that's what happens in the, you know, they go to war or, um, you know, whether it's a, a bad car accident and people block out what happened in the car accident or whether it was rape or whatever it was. You block it out. You don't have a memory of it because you've actually kind of left your body on it. And then when you're asleep, especially, your, you know, we have three minds. I feel like I'm bouncing here. If y'all need me to stop and do something different, tell me. <laughs> the point that she made, right? Yeah. To be aware of what's the lighting, what's the... Because, yeah. you know, as much as I know that, I tend to, to not remember it when mm -hmm. I'm in that. Right. I tend to be focused on, oh, what's happening? Not, right. okay, wait a minute. What just happened around me? What did I hear? What did I smell? What did I think? Any yada 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 yada. Yeah, all your sensors. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. it happens so fast. Because if you can be aware of that trigger, mm -hmm. then you can also be prepared for it. Like you know, say it's right. the lights going down. Right. You know, or whatever. I am one that, and you know, I use the excuse that I leave it on case somebody gets up at night, you know, that stuff their toe or whatever. But leaving lights on, they will, you know, every 
so often or night lights or whatever. I'm one that would go in a room and if I know the light switch is just inside the door, I would reach in like this and put the light on before I step into it. Step in. okay. I kept and my hand raised out the front door for years when I lived by myself. <laughs> so it's, you know, we, we have these things that, that we built in that this is what I need to do. But what I was going to say is our so-called mind, we have the conscious, and then we have the subconscious. I just forgot how to spell. <laughs> and then we have the unconscious. Now, the, there is a small space between the unconscious and subconscious. This is the stuff that we keep down like that spring. These two, the subconscious and conscious, switch places all the time. Like if I say, don't think about the color of your car. Pop into your conscious, my car's blue, or my car's white, or whatever. Now I say, what's the front door your house look like? So the color of your car now drops down into subconscious, and the what your front door looks like pops up. You're not thinking about your car anymore until I say it again. But so these two change positions all the time. The subconscious is all the information that you know, and when there's enough amplitude put into it, like me asking a question, you know, what's your favorite item of clothing? What's your favorite food? You know, what did you come here to heal? Now that you just told your friend. <laughs> so those pop back and forth depending on the energy that is applied, the question that's asked or whatever that resonates that information and it pops forward into the conscious. Now the unconscious is what we push down, we don't want to deal with the event that happened 40 years ago that I'm not looking at or whatever. When you're asleep, this opens up more. And the unconscious information floats up easier. You have dreams, maybe nightmares. I have a whole lot less nightmares than I did, but when Michael and I first got married, and he, he was so tapped into me that a lot of times he would reach over and just go, breathe. Before I even realized that it was a nightmare, or before my nightmare woke me up, he was just tapped in enough, he'd reach over and just touch me and say, breathe. And uh, so, but now they've gotten less because I've been doing work around it and everything instead of pushing it all down and not dealing with it, then I'm starting looking at what are the issues with it and allowing it to come forward. But that's what PTSD is. You know, a lot of them have, like, um, I know Michael for a long time, not my Michael, but Michael C., uh, he and his wife couldn't sleep in the same bed because he would go into full-blown PTSD during the night having nightmares and he's liable to hit her or choke her or something. And, of course, he didn't mean to. He'd be back in the, you know, war or whatever. And so they would sleep in different beds. And now he's been doing enough work that they're back in the same bed again. You know? So it's, it's being able to get in here and to look at it because we're carrying it around and just saying, I don't want to go there, I don't want to look at it, isn't going to make it go away. And it's going to impact the physical, mental, and emotional of our life. And so we want to get in there. But that's what PTSD is. It's those unconscious things popping up when they're triggered. And you put enough energy in there, enough things that are on that sheet that I handed out get popped. And then it just the whole blown thing comes forward. So four things will happen. When you start doing your work, if the other members of your family, whether it's a spouse or whoever, doesn't, one of four things will happen. First thing is, they will be like, wow, I really like what you're doing, what you've got. I like the changes I've seen, and I want something. And that's, of course, the ideal. 
second thing is, you know, it looks really good on you. I support you doing it. I don't want it, which sounds like kind of who you are, you know. Um, and that's up to you individually, you know. And I know a lot of couples that they're okay with that. You know, he's okay with her going forward and learning and doing and, you know, being, you know, doing the spiritual work or whatever. And, and she's okay that he doesn't do it. And so they're at that, that point and it's a mutual agreement. It's fine. You know, and so a lot of times they'll say, it looks good on you, I support you keeping on doing it, but I don't want it. Third thing is, they'll be so pissed because now you're not controllable. Because when you start uncovering these things and start doing your work, then the hold that the world has on you lessens and lessens, mm -hmm. and you're not controllable. And they don't like that, so they'll crank the heat up to get you back to where you were, where you were controllable. And that often happens even in, with employers or something, you know. And so it can happen in any relationship. And the fourth thing is there's no readiness, I'm out of here. And that's usually the other person not doing their work that says, I'm out of here and leave. There could be, I actually talked about this on the radio show with Camille, I think it was yesterday. And she's kind of in that situation. And she feels like, you know, She's doing the work and she wants to do what she can to resolve their their situation and their issues and and uh, stay together, but he's not willing to, to meet her halfway or do his part in it and it's causing issues or bringing up issues between them. And I said, you know, you have to determine yourself. Nobody can say, well, you need to get out of that relationship. But if you leave a relationship out of your fear or your hostility, what was this? Have you ever done something you regret? You'll do it all over again. So you will do it all over again. You need to get back to a totally connected space. You know, I've seen couples where they're, you know, friends and they're like, you know, I love you and I bless you and I wish this would work out between us, but it's not going to. I'm going this way and you're going that way. And they part friends and everything's okay. That's what we did. And, and that is the way if you choose to dissolve it and then continue to do your work around it or you'll create, bring it back in again because it'll be a lesson you haven't got yet so you get to bring it in again and learn it again. But if you just say, you know, ah, you're, you're not doing your part and da da da, then you're in this side and then you split and you'll do something you regret and it won't be a happy ending. Okay? There's also a thing called I'm throwing all these things out because we're getting ready to do the worksheet, and so I want some things stirring. Wake up sheet. Wake up sheet, yes, thank you very much. <laughs> so, um, leaving and withdrawing, being mine, was, I, I call it um, pain by choice. Because if someone else leaves and it brings up hurt, and, oh, they left me, and I can't control this, and I can't do it because they're the ones that left. But if I leave, then I'm in control of how much it hurts. It's the same thing with a twist of people cutting. I've worked with a lot of people who cut. And there's several reasons why they do. A lot of times they cut because they are in so much pain internally, and they don't know what to do to relieve that. And it's like they, they're lost to it, but they can control how much this hurts when they cut. They can't control how much it hurts in here, but they can control how much this hurts. Then the second thing that happens is your body sends out endorphins and things to 
you know, start clotting the blood and anesthetize it and all that. And you can actually, after a time, get high on that, on that feeling. Uh, it's a hard way of doing that. But it happens. And then a lot of times they're so lost in pain and what's going on for them that they don't feel. It's like just going through life and nobody can touch them. I mean, it's, I don't mean physically. It's like, you know, nothing it penetrates that shell that they put up. It's like they're zombies going through life. They have no feelings, no, no laughter, no joy, no sadness, no anything. They're just like, you know, automatons just doing what they have to do. And when they cut, they know they're still alive because it hurts. It's pain by choice. And so that is a hard way of doing it, but I think leaving, for me, was just as hard. It was, I control her. I control how much it hurts. And so being willing to let that go, and instead of punishing myself, and that is a way of punishing, is to be willing to face it and move through it. Does that make sense? So when you say you don't punish, think of all the ways that you do punish yourself. Because we all do. And what you're using to control what you're feeling, if you don't get the handle on it and do your work around it, will become the thing that controls you. Say that again. (laughs) It took me a while even when I wrote it down to get it. (laughs) Okay, so the thing that you use to control pain, so in my case, leaving, and a person who cuts, they're using that to control something in their life. If you don't do your work around it, and you don't resolve it, and you don't forgive it, then it will become the thing that controls you. So, my leaving would control me. It would control my decisions of where I am and what I do, and, and people that cut, it's like they can't handle anything else, so they have to go cut again, and then they cut again. And it becomes controlling over them, instead of them controlling it. So it's another reason to, to dig down in and take care of that. Like any addiction? Yes, it is. It's an addiction. addiction. Absolutely. Absolutely. In um, learned helplessness. And you can, you know, one that uh, has a fence around, or invisible fence around the yard, and they know if they go so far, they get zapped, you know? And then you can disconnect the fence after a while, and they still won't go there because they learned their trap. And so even though there is a way out, they don't step through that to get out. And so we are trapped in some of our garbage, and we have an open door that we can get out. And it's up to each one of us whether we want to do that or not. We can stay stuck in it and say, there's nothing else I can do, I'm just here, or we can step through it. So the next tool that we're going to do is the forgiveness worksheet. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.